I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Your Own Personal Beatles with me, Robin Allender. And me, Jack Belling. How's it going, Jack? It's good. I'm glad we said hello the other way around this yeah, week it's just very to, disorientating. to change things up. To me three goes. <laughs> but now, I, now I'm wondering what's going on. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm fine. Good. <laughs> I was wondering whether I'm you or not. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I've been enjoying some of the sort of special John Lennon 80th programming over the last week. Yeah. Um, and looking forward to tucking into this episode with uh, comedy legend Kevin Eldon and Jem Roberts, the author of the forthcoming book Fab Fools, The Last Ever Untold Beatles Story. Uh, and it's a fun one. It was really fun and it was incredibly nerve-wracking. You know, if you think Kevin Eldon is a, a big comedy hero uh, who, yeah. you know, we've been watching for like over 20 years on TV... <laughs> Yeah. You know, if for some reason you've never seen a British comedy yeah. um, and are unaware of who Kevin Eldon is, um, he has starred in basically everything that's good. He's almost a kind of seal of approval, really. Yeah. Starting with sort of Lee and Herring going through into Alan Partridge, Brass Eye, Big Train, um, Spaced, Hot Fuzz. Yeah, and also his own The Kevin Eldon Show and his stand. He's, he also did stand up, really good stand up shows as well. In Edinburgh yeah. a few years ago, which has got my friend Toby one of his favourite ever lines, which is Kevin Eldon talking about going to drama school, and all it taught him was how to go. I'm somebody else, <laughs> <laughs> which is really That's good. Brilliant. It was one of my faves, but it was kind of hard because it's a Beatles podcast. It's, we we sort of I felt very conscious. I didn't want to do too much kind of fanboying, and um, I didn't even I can't believe now I didn't even mention Chris Morris. Yeah, but, I know. know. There was just so much Beatles stuff to talk about and so yeah. much to get into in the book, which Kevin has written the forward to. Yeah. Uh, we did touch on Big Train and his uh, absolutely amazing George Martin impression that I'm yes. sure... Uh, we should just say at the top of the show that we do talk about that because lots of people have tweeted us asking if he is if we're going to talk to him about his George yeah. Martin impression. You can't so, not, you know. Yeah, and we've very slyly put it right at the end. So you <laughs> yeah. have to listen to the whole thing. But it's worth sticking around for. Jim Roberts is an absolute delight as well. And his book is genuinely fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. I really loved reading it. And it was just great to chat to such a comedy expert and music expert. So it was a yeah. very good, uh, very good um, episode, I thought. And as he mentioned, you know, that there is no shortage of Beatles books, but this one really had something new to say. And it's amazing that the sort of Beatles in comedy angle has never really been explored to this sort of degree. Yeah. Um, and we recorded it a few weeks ago. Um, and it actually feels like years ago because I read the book, I finished the book sunbathing in the park <laughs> which now seems like about six years ago well before the episode i read the whole beatles bit and you read the whole ruttles but so bit so combined we had read it in in, in total 
Yeah, so, for yeah. full transparency. That's, yeah, yeah, uh, indeed. Yeah, it was good, but it's, it's a fascinating read. And it is out on the 30th of October, and you can pre-order it now. Yeah. Um, so we'll be getting on to that uh, in a little bit. We've got a bit of correspondence to do. We should just mention that um, you haven't had the chance to hear it yet, but in, uh, Radio 2 over the weekend... I just said Radio 2 in a very Radio 2 way. <laughs> Radio 2 over the weekend had some special programming with uh, for John Lennon's 80th birthday, which is coming up this Friday, mm. uh, in which Sean Ono Lennon interviews uh, Elton John, his godfather and pal of... Uh, 1970s John Lennon uh, and he also talks to Julian Lennon in a really sort of moving in-depth conversation and then there's a fantastic interview with Paul on there as well which is mm. also very sort of touching so I highly recommend them and uh, we had a couple of covers we, we, we've been talk we talked Beatles covers a few times on the podcast yeah um, but if you go to our Twitter feed May Martin got in touch to say that she hates 99% of Beatles covers but she sent a, a really nice version of Martha my dear on banjo and guitar by uh, a, a YouTube channel of someone called the other favorites who I'd not heard of uh, wow. which started quite a fun thread about uh, Beatles covers and a fantastic one from another former guest Johnny White who sent in Ghost's version of uh, Here Comes the Sun. Have you ever heard that? No, I haven't. I mean, this I've been off Twitter, and it sounds like it's got really good since I left. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was a, a rare chink of light in the in Yeah, because sort of I logged back on today, and it's quagmire. just Lawrence Fox wall-to-wall, and it's just like, oh, I'm logging off again. But it sounds like I've been missing some fun stuff. No, it's really good. That ghost one is particularly good. And Johnny cool. said, I used to listen to this one walking around the Heath and imagine a trailer for some sort of supernatural thriller about 1980s London. <laughs> Still think it would be a good film. Sadly, no proper detail ever emerged. <laughs> That's um, great. But if that film ever comes out of development hell, then uh, I would definitely be the first one to buy a ticket. In the, in the Twitter thread was uh, the Breeders' cover of Happiness is a Warm Gun mentioned, because that is no, really good. I that's a that cracker. We yeah. should do a, a, a little Spotify playlist of our yeah. favourite Beatles covers, actually, mm. because I keep meaning to sort of send some around. But, uh, yeah, trawl through back our Twitter. Um, you know, you can follow us on social media, at uh, Personal Beatles, if you want some more gold. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. Ooh, ooh, um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, and uh, Soundgarden covered Come Together, and I like it, but some people don't. I don't think I've ever heard that. It's good. Mm, all right. <laughs> know what I'm going to listen to after this. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I'm actually moving house in a couple of weeks. Oh, literal and housekeeping. Literal housekeeping. Yeah. And I've got uh, some surplus, your own personal Beatles mugs, which are absolutely fantastic. They look really cool. They come in a very special box. And they usually are given to guests of the show um, to say thank you for coming on. Um, but we have some spare ones. I don't want to take them with me. So if you would like one, then uh, it is yours for a donation to the upkeep of the podcast. Um, if you hate receptacles or don't like tea or <laughs> coffee. If you hate us. No. Um, well, if you, yeah, if you like us, but you don't want if a mug. If you hate us, you could buy a mug Fill it with hot tea and then splash it all over us. Yeah, <laughs> smash it in anger. Yeah. Stamp around on our porcelain faces. <laughs> um, nah. But uh, no, if you do enjoy the show and you want to contribute, but you don't 
want a mug for whatever reason, <laughs> you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash donate. And yeah. thank you again to everyone who's done it this week. It's uh, really, really helpful. We're coming to the end of this season and uh, we would... Season or series? What should we call it? Series. Series, yeah, yeah. come on. <laughs> Rule Britannia. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, speaking of mugs, my friend who is a mug, Sam Healy, you said you wanted a mug, but you never got in touch. So, you know, pull your ass out of your head. yes okay i'll hold it for you um um, but yeah first come first serves on on those ones you can see a picture of them on our instagram page um if you enjoy the show and you want to um get in touch with us then you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact or email me jack at homespunsounds.com just like these lovely people did so uh, i'll read out a, a little bit of correspondence first one is from ben taylor who says hi guys i hope you're staying sane your podcast is certainly helping me to do so speaking of of how far-reaching the Beatles' influence is, I thought you might be interested in a fact that blew my mind. Mm. On a trip to the Science Museum in London, I discovered that EMI actually funded the research for the subsequent invention of the CT scan due to the success of the band. I've attached an article below, which is very interesting. Um, Would you like to hear the crux of this article? Yeah. That's incredible. It's an amazing story that starts with a guy called Godfrey Hounsfield, a researcher at EMI back in the 1950s. Although it was a somewhat struggling major label today, EMI, which stands for Electrical and Musical Industries, was once an industrial research company. Hounsfield did some pioneering work on computers, helping to build the first all-transistor computer, but the division wasn't profitable for EMI and the company sold its computer business in 1962. So far... So boring. It um, sounds like kind of. It sounds like uh, Lord Sugar. <laughs> sounds yeah. like Alan Sugar's about Amstrad. to. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, right, yeah. In 1962, right when it signed the Beatles, his standing was good enough with the company that they let him conduct independent research with funding from the Beatles' strings of massive successes in the 1960s. He went on to invent the CT scanner, which EMI released in 1972, and shared the 1979 Nobel Prize for Medicine for his invention. Wow, that's there you incredible, go. isn't it? So next time you have a CT scan, um, just remember that Love Me Do probably paid for it. Mm. And it's like CT is short for come together. That, <laughs> that's true. Mm. Little known fact. Yeah. Um, the Soundgarden version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly not the Michael Jackson version of history, which is yeah. strange. Mm. But uh, if it's free to cover because you've stolen the rights, why not make the most of it? <laughs> Um, We've got another email from Glenn Beatty here, um, who says, I thought I'd drop you a line to say thank you and Robin for the podcast. You're very welcome. I only discovered it when you interviewed Hazel Wilde, and that was a great interview. I've been a big fan of Hazel and Lantern since their first album, which I stumbled upon on CD in a local record shop in Newcastle. Not Newcastle upon Tyne, but Newcastle, Australia. Whoa. I remember having an exchange with Hazel after Beings came out where we talked about the mixing and I was disappointed that the vocals were mixed so low and this was a shame because she wrote such great lyrics Mm. rectified on this album as discussed in last week's podcast. Yeah, I mean, I like both, but there's definitely a progression sometimes with artists where they kind of sort of wade out of the reverb to become more direct, I think. Yeah, um, and John Lennon did 
um, we had to be coaxed out of that many times. Mm. Um, uh, he yeah. says, I've enjoyed the Beatles for most of my life and have listened to them for when I was, from when I was perhaps six or seven years of age. I'm now nearly 60. My mm. much older brother was a fan and would buy their records. And when he died a couple of years ago, his vinyl collection came to me. And some of the hundreds of records that I'm most proud now to own are original Australian release Parlophone mono albums of Beatles for Sale oh, wow. with the Beatles, Revolver and Help. When I bought my first CD player just over 30 years ago, I bought most of the studio albums on CD, and now, of course, they're on my streaming services. It's been interesting watching the technology, and I will be listening to things much differently when I am 64 than oh. when I first heard the Beatles in a little coal mining town in Australia in the mid-60s. Oh, that's so nice. Um, and he sent a picture of one of the uh, original record sleeves there from, um, I think it's from Beatles for Sale, which is... Um, it's crazy yellow cover I've never seen before, mm. but uh, thank you so much for sending that in. That's uh, that's great to hear. Yeah, thank you. So on with the show. We'll be back at the end to uh, tell you who we've got coming on next week. But for now, enjoy Kevin Eldon and Jen Roberts. This week. Uh, we got an absolute treat. Robin and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by the author of upcoming book about the Beatles, Fab Fools, and the legendary comedian Kevin Eldon, who has written the foreword for the book. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hello. It's lovely to be here. Hello. How are you guys doing? How's, how's your strange lockdowns been? Well, I am just embarrassingly grateful, to be honest, <laughs> Kevin, because uh, <laughs> this is it's nice to meet you <laughs> at last. Uh, because Likewise. The, the thing is, um, it, this was Kevin's show, and he kindly pointed out that this bloke had a book out, which he'd written a oh. fantastic book. So you've never, never met before? In, we have in, chatted in, in, in all sorts of ways, but right. this is the closest we've got to having a drink together so oh, nice. far. Oh, amazing. Um, cool. Yes. But uh, that's... Just, so the thing is, I would listen to a podcast about Kevin Eldon's personal journey with the Beatles, no problem. So I'm basically getting it live, and uh, I'm quite happy to be pulled out of the box at, at any stage needed, really. But uh, it's just, it's so wonderful to be here, you know. Well, you know, this this book's great. We'll we'll get onto the book, I'm sure, in, mm. in some detail. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I'm very happy to get behind it in any possible way I can because it, it, you know, it's good to publicise stuff and get it out there because. Um, having uh, read it, uh, I would love Beatles fans to um, have a look themselves because mm. it's an interesting uh, angle on the Beatles to look yeah. at. Um, and my lockdown was, um, well, it was a Shangri-La, actually. Me mm. and my family <laughs> headed out of Stinktown or London, <laughs> as it's all sometimes called, um, as lockdown happened. And we went into the country uh, to um, my mother-in-law's house, and we just stayed there, surrounded by fields. And uh, I've got a couple of kids, um, so we've got a fairly small flat in London, and we didn't want to be there during lockdown. So we actually had quite a, a nice time, yeah. which is, seems wrong, uh, but no, it seems wrong. <laughs> but we we did. We had a we had we had a right old laugh. But uh, we're back in London now. Lovely stuff, gems. Yeah, I loved the book. I think it was brilliant. And yeah, my first thought Thank really you. on re reading it was why do you, why don't you think this story, this angle, has been told before in terms of the Beatles and comedy? Well, uh, then we get into the whole philosophy of writing about comedy at all, <laughs> yeah. don't we? I guess that's, you know that, that 
that's been my patch for sort of 12, 13 years, mm. and it's a very difficult patch to tend. Mm. Uh, so the only reason I do it is because I'm such a comedy anorak that I just had this horrible premonition that somebody was going to do a book on I'm Sorry, I Haven't a Clue, mm. and I loved that show so much. I just thought nobody else is allowed to screw this up. Yeah. And <laughs> so that's the angle I was coming from with yeah, this, yeah. and everything I've done since The Black Adder and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Fry and Laurie... It's all just the stuff I love that I want to sort of keep safe and make sure it's done right. Mm. And the Ruttles, and I'm sorry, having a clue, are have a kinship really in in the kind of make believe that makes them work. Mm. So I guess it. I mean, I can go back. I mean, this book has been going on for so long, the whole last decade basically. I mean, I in 2011, I I was able to write a letter to George Martin and get a reply. So that's how long it's been going Amazing. on now. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to look back and see how early on in my career, if we can call it that, in the words of David Bowie, um, <laughs> how early on in my career that I thought suddenly realised, I think it's because I'd done Clue and I'd done Blackadder, and these were two of the biggest titans in, in the British comedy world. Mm. And so I was thinking, wow, I'm dealing with some pretty big things here, and I thought, what is the biggest thing in entertainment? Mm. And obviously I've got, I've got at least about eight foot worth of Beatles books, obviously, on my shelves. I just looked up and saw that and thought, far too many of them already, aren't there? But that was... And so it's just the two of them coming together, really, was the real genesis of just thinking, hang on. I mean, I always thought, actually, with um, the anthology, for instance, people listening to the anthology all around the world back in the 90s, they think, what did Americans, obviously, but also Abyssinians and Tasmanians, what did they make of Morecambe and Wise? In what context were they listening to that fantastic stuff? And similarly, as a British person, I'd heard the stories about John and the Smothers Brothers and everything, and I'd always just thought... Well, who the hell are the Smothers Brothers? They yeah. never made it over here. And it sounded like there was some kind of cheesy, little and large kind of thing. Yeah. Because why else would even drunk John, you know, heckle that show? But actually, <laughs> they were actually they were really cool kind of folksy performers. And I right. don't know anything about them. So yeah. I've written the book. I always write the books for myself. There's no other reason to ever write a book. Hmm. Um, but also just thinking this is a whole area of knowledge which nobody's touched. Yeah. And that's a, mm. an absolute crime. And what it also comes back to in doing this job is people keep dying. Mm. So the more things you can do to try and and celebrate this stuff while people are vertical men and women Mm. is uh, really what I do this for. Yeah. I noticed, Jem, you... uh, uh, Sorry, I haven't got a clue. You reduced Mm. to clue. So I (laughs) think you should do that with all of your projects, down to one (laughs) syllable. So Blackadder should come down to duh. (laughs) <laughs> and let's refer to the Beatles from now on as Tulls. Tulls. Yeah. Tulls. Might get confused with Ruttles. But oh, yeah, that's true, yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, so bees, 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 then. Bees and Ruttles. Mm. Ruz. Bees and Ruttles. So, Kevin, when did you first realise that the bees were funny? <laughs> um, well, I, I think I'd, I'd, I've covered this in the uh, forward a bit, actually. Um, I just remember the uh, films starting to be played on telly uh, in the early 70s uh, and uh, that's when I was at school so and they always used to come on at Easter holidays it was always seemed to be the Easter holidays <laughs> and uh, I'd never seen uh, Hard Day's Night of the Pictures and I hadn't seen Help of the Pictures and uh, I loved them I thought they were just so funny and interesting and the music was great of course and uh, Hard Day's Night particularly I just uh, was immediately taken by 
just that swank they had, yeah. and and the uh, and the the smart sassing talk uh, really got me, and and, and help as a, a little kid I liked because it was quite sort of cartoony, mm. and then mm. uh, so that was my introduction to it, and I but I don't think I picked up on the nuanced layers of their wit, particularly yeah. Lennon, until I really got into the Beatles properly as a teenager. And then I'd started seeing that they were just brilliant. They, they mm. were just kind of amazingly kind piss takers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, that's been an element of them that has always been almost as attractive to me as as the music. Yeah. Mm. I think that's that's really well put. I think the thing that I was struck from reading Jem's book is this idea that you you know we have the records and the records are records you know <laughs> they're permanent in our culture whereas a lot of stuff they did in the 60s was kind of ephemera they're like panto and mm. like tv appearances that people forgot to tape or things like this or you know the christmas flexi discs and so yeah. the great thing about the book is that you know you're kind of retrieving all that the stuff that maybe people didn't know about and showing that there's this whole other side of the beatles where they're partaking in culture and you know but is is it really a bad thing that we don't have on on record the Beatles performing Arctic Panto with Jimmy Savile? What would we do with that now? Did that happen? From... Jimmy Savile played the Yeti, yes, in a in a uh. kind of uh, an, an Everest sketch, I think, in the second and last. There are uh, quite Panto a lot of bits show. in your book where it's parenthesis, now disgraced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd work that in, yeah. It was yeah. too inevitable, really. Yeah. There were, there were yeah. almost too many. Yeah. <laughs> but there was, they've always, George Martin always used to say that about the period where they didn't have the control over what they released, that I think he said anything else that was be released should come with a health warning. They'd literally just piled everything out. But you're right, I mean, especially sort of those sort of Christmas records. And then even later on when you talk about the rhythm, I mean, how much is YouTube a sort of resource when you're digging well, back through all that stuff? we live in a world with YouTube and Wikipedia. Mm. Um, I mean, it's weird to look back and say I started out, you know, I wrote, started writing my first book in 2007 mm. where they weren't quite as, as developed, you know, yeah. Internet 2.0 as then. But it's like anything else. You wouldn't take anything off Wikipedia unless you also had the book on it somewhere and could double-check everything <laughs> that you use. Mm. It, it mm. is double-checking stuff. And, and uh, uh, name drop, but um, the one... I mean, when I first started doing this book, I thought, right, there are too many Beatles books. But the one exception, obviously, we make to that is Mark Lewis' own. And uh, I got to speak to him. And um, he kind of... We were talking about Tolkien and the whole story of Tolkien turning down the Beatles for Lord of the Rings because he had a rock band that lived next door that were always noisy and so he hated rock music and that's why he refused to do it. And Mark pointed out that it's probably bollocks, really. (laughs) Um, So we put in allegedly at least. It's a good story. Always always have a good story, but make sure if it's not absolutely cast iron then that you've covered your arse on that. Yeah. It's quite partridgey, that is <laughs> not liking rock musicals. Yeah, yeah that's great. Mm. <laughs> it's a shame that there's not a lot of the stuff that they had between them uh, available to us. You know, mm. and it, you know, it's a shame that their private lives are not ours. You know, it's a terrible thing <laughs> yeah. to say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I know, I know exactly. <laughs> they have private lives, but I mean, I. I a lot of what we see about them being funny um, is uh, has a certain element of self consciousness because it's either 
uh, written uh, by somebody else, not so much, uh, or they are in an interview situation. Mm. And um, mm. an example of that is, which I, I brought up with Jem as well, and he was well aware of, is there's quite um, a, a famous in Beatles circles uh, tape of them goofing around in the studio uh, during the recording of uh, Think for Yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. And oh, yeah. so they just left the tape on, and I think it's uh, it's George and... Paul and and John standing around a mic, uh, you know. I don't think they were doing uh, the and they're doing the backing vocals, mm. and uh, I don't think they were, you know, single tracking it like all the cowards do these days. They were just standing <laughs> around, you know, fingers and ears, yeah. and they're waiting for the inevitable, enormous, complicated thing of you know getting the tape back to the right place because yeah. I don't know they were working on four track then, so it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't as easy as it would be now, sort of digitally. And they're just they're, they're relaxed and in a very good mood. I suppose it's 65 yeah. and everyone's just, you know, kind of having quite a, a laugh. And they are hilarious. They yeah. are absolutely mm. hilarious. They're just like saying what the hell comes into their heads. Um, yeah, and it's all improvised and like... Why know, such fervor? <laughs> yeah. Why such fury? <laughs> I'll tell you, brethren. Yeah. There's more of them than there are of us. And that's why there's so few of us left. Why such fury? <laughs> Condemn thou the thoughts of man. Yeah. What is right. this wrath that beholds you? Why such favour? Why such favour? Okay, let's go. And he called and they bloody well come. Why? Yes, but oh, if you look in your Bible. I can't go on, I really can't. Come on, let's do this bleeding record. Like you, you make a, a good point in the book that that's almost the Beatles at their funniest, you know, that when it's kind of freewheeling and doing little bits and they're quite you know it's quite stoned humor as well isn't it they're kind of been for a shit have we yeah. Megan? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the thing i've got to i've got to admit i mean i'm glad that that you've enjoyed the book it means a world to me um and it's good to bring all this stuff together and tell the story and everything but i didn't get to interview paul or ringo for this book and <laughs> I honestly thought I stood a good chance. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm no great celeb. I'm no James Corden, no matter what anyone may say. But, um, <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing in most... <laughs> anyway, but, but I, thought, I thought if I could get through to them and say, look, everyone always talks about your private lives, they talk yeah. about the music, I want to talk about the comedy, they're scousers. Mm. Why wouldn't they want to talk about comedy from all sorts of different angles? Mm. But I got a, a reply from Paul's office saying, this sounds interesting, tell us more about it. And I did, and I never heard anything again. Right. And, I, and Ringo's just sort of an impregnable kind of Dr. Robotnik flying around <laughs> impossible to, to get near. Right, yeah. But those are the questions I would have asked. Who yeah, was Megan? Right. Who <laughs> was Megan and why such fervour? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, these are the stuff we yeah. need to know. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we'll find out, hopefully. Lost like tears in the rain. Yeah. yeah. Why such fervour? Why such fury? I mean, I mean, I think the theory is that uh, there was a, a tradition in Liverpool of uh, street preachers. Uh, mm. And uh, mm. that, that would be something that they would have seen as, as teenagers, you know, going into town. There were, you know, that, that they were there with the sandwich boards on and uh, and declaiming loudly in a scouse uh, uh, accent uh, mm. the you know the dire warnings from the Old Testament. Yeah. But it was clearly a specific guy, and I think it's going yeah. to take Mark Lewison yeah. to find this guy, <laughs> the original preacher that inspired yeah. Lennon. Well, he and found all that he stuff. found Mr. Mustard, so if he can find exactly. Mr. Mustard, <laughs> then uh, he can that probably find great... that. Yeah.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I watched... Um... Magical Mystery Tour this week in preparation for this. And uh, what what's interesting about Magical Mystery Tour is I think Paul wants to recapture that freewheelingness of Rubber Soul. But obviously, once you put a camera in front of you, you it just doesn't like work in the same way. But like, I don't know. It's uh, it's um, I think Magical Mystery Tours lovely but i mean i didn't watch it on boxing day so. <laughs> you didn't watch it on <laughs> boxing day in black and white did you yeah. stuff full of turkey i don't know i think it's with your war veteran father tapping <laughs> yeah. yeah i used to like them when they had their nice hair um, but, I, but i uh I, I find magical mystery tour interesting but not particularly mm. hilarious there's a lot of no. there's a lot of whimsy there i think um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but mm. that doesn't make me laugh so much as uh, a hard day's yeah. night does but even though no, that's not them, yeah. you know, speaking their own words. There is a bit of magical mystery tour in Big Train, I think, some, somehow. Very, you know, long, mm. floating punchlines. Like the bit with the kind of the, the dwarfs wrestling and the vicar's, the blind man's <laughs> buff thing. And there's something a bit Big Trainy about it, I thought. Do you think that's, I don't know. that makes sense Neil Innes was actually totally, um, he, he, he went much further than that. He said there'd be no Python and uh, all, mm. all, he was really quite... Over the top in his praise, I think. Of um, mm. uh, to be fair, he was in it, but you know, um, <laughs> it's. Um, I think the problem with Magical Mystery Tour really is that despite a thousand hours of editing, it's not finished, is it? Yeah, <laughs> that's. It's strange to think actually of of all the latter Beatles projects. This isn't even in the book. This is just me, you know, realizing now mm. they're all unfinished. Magical mm. Mystery Tour. There, there was some. I mean, why? Why didn't Ivor get his song? There's so no. much great stuff they cut out. It could have been a far better. And there was going to be an animation with the wizards teaming up, and it literally they ran out of time. You know, yeah. in a bloody uh, dairy barn somewhere out, in, out east. And, well, there weren't uh, many it, they just drafts. Had to get it done. There weren't many drafts of that script, though, were there, Jim? <laughs> 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 no, exactly, I don't but... think Paul said, "I'm on me." 11th uh, draft of this I mean basically yeah. they, he had a basic idea didn't he I and mean, that's very much the spirit of 1967 mm. uh, having just mm. had some acid and a great big joint well let's just get <laughs> everybody together and get on the road and see what happens and uh, which is yeah. you know it's a fine spirit it's good you know especially in the days of uh, of now of, of uh, over preparation and uh, and minuscule mm. uh, control freakery uh, it was the exact opposite mm. of that but you know you do need a little bit of discipline sometimes Time, so otherwise you cross the line with the camera, you know, and you can't have that. <laughs> I just think that we love it all so much, though, that we're kind of blind to that. And uh, yeah. 
the very last part of Yellow Submarine was supposed to be full of them being fully animated, not mm. just the you know the hole and all all that kind of stuff. It was supposed mm. to be glorious, but they just ran out of time. Yeah, let it be. You know, all of these things mm. are like unfinished projects. Mm. And you know, for quite the opposite. I'm sorry, Kev, to what you were just saying, is imagine if Paul Jackson had loads and loads of ma- magical mystery stuff to do something with and to. Uh, I mean, you'd still have the original. This is the mm. thing. I just think um, it's unfinished, basically. Yeah. That was one of the main yeah. problems yeah. with it. I think yeah. that any, even the greatest directors in the world would have trouble making something coherent mm. out of the rushes of magical Well, mysteries. definitely. It would have been a, a hard editing job, that's for certain. There would have been some migraines <laughs> happening there. <laughs> so, now, it'd be good to talk about um, Neil, too. Neil Innes, who's, uh, you know, a, a major component... Uh, in the book as well, certainly uh, certainly a, a large one. And Neil Innes, of course, uh, um, was the creator and originator of The Ruttles um, and also earlier was in the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band who were in Magical Mystery Tour. And uh, he was a fantastic uh, songwriter uh, and guitarist and pianist and, and vocalist. Um, and uh, he... He meant a lot to the Beatles, and the Beatles meant a lot to him. There was a, there was a big link there. Well, this mm. is this is the you know um, part of the the whole thing. The the book is dedicated to Neil. Mm. Um, I'm sure there will be a far more uh, an actual proper celebration of Neil as a book form will be fantastic one day uh, from the family maybe. But um, the thing about Neil, as we all know, is that he was just too nice. You know, wasn't he? He was just such a friendly bloke. Yes, he once said to me, he said, uh, I haven't got the sharpest elbows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty bang on. But uh, he had friends oh. all over the place, and uh, I, I wouldn't claim to be one, but we'd had many a chat because I'd seen him so many times. Mm. And he was quite passionate about this, mm. the whole fact that the Beatles had never been looked at as comedians. Mm. And he was, you know, well, the videos are all up on YouTube and everything. We sort of talked about this. And we were going to have a mm. p- big proper interview, and sadly that never happened. So oh. Oh, rather than, so I mean, Kev, I always had in mind to write a lovely forward, um, and we were talking with Neil about having an afterward. He was going to sort of send mm. a kind of postcard from somewhere and do it that way. But um, uh, I, and don't blame me. I know it may look like I'm a Jonah, but I went through this with Humphrey Littleton with my very first book. Um, it's it's suddenly oh my gosh, this this living. History has now become something else. Mm. Um, And so, uh, I mean, the book is dedicated partly to my mum and dad. And to complicate matters further, I actually lost my dad last year as well. But my dad was exactly the same age as John. My mum was exactly the same age as Paul. And they always hated the Beatles. They just weren't interested. They just, just yeah. it was like too young and funky for them when they were in their twenties. They were into you know Slim Whitman and things like that. And so I grew up without the Beatles and discovered them myself. And that's where my passion comes from. Mm. So I got to dedicate the book to them, like it always was. And then I had to also say it is for now. It's for Neil. And mm. there's so many ways we haven't had any chance to celebrate Neil's life and work mm. yet because of this year. Yeah. And this is hopefully just the first sort of brick in the wall, if you like, of um, of trying to deal with losing Ron Nasty, you know. Mm. <clears throat> there is a plan. There is indeed yeah. a plan to get some proper... 
big do mm. in celebration of uh, Neil and his life and his music. But, of course, the wretched COVID thing has stopped mm. us all because there, there are lots of people on it um, uh, with uh, the uh, assistance and cooperation and blessing of his family as well. So maybe it might not be this year, it mm. might be next year, but mm. we're going to have one hell of a send-off uh, as a as a stage act, as a, a stage night, you know, somewhere mm. big in in town. I'll definitely do that. Uh, and mm. there'll be a there'll be a lovely memorial at some point as well, because uh, you know we need to say goodbye. Because he was, yeah, you know, I absolutely loved him. Mm. He was, uh, it, 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 I was such yeah. a massive um, Bonzo's fan yeah. and and Ruttles fan, and I got to I got to meet him, and blimey, you know, do meet your hero sometimes because <laughs> That's exactly he what was, I was say. He, he was mm. such. He was a delight to be with, yeah. you know. He was just a warm, fuzzy, just bundle of of sort of non-maligness, yeah. you know. I mean, he should, in terms of sort of raw talent and what he achieved and what he means to people, he's mm. very underrated. But then I suppose if you are that, you've got that kind of personality, you're always going to be a cult figure. But what he mm. means to the people that do love him is a hundred times more than, you know, is that famous thing that David Quantic says of there being more love in the room at a right. Ruttles gig than at a Beatles gig and stuff. And one of my great sort of life regrets mm. is never having seen the Ruttles. Oh. Would have absolutely... I mean, I just imagine it would be such a joyous experience. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. And uh, I saw him probably three times or three or four times. And what was good about it was that he um, he had mates with him. So so he he, he was still enjoying yeah. it very much. And uh, there was uh, the, on drums, John, John Falsey, um, who who I've met before and is absolutely hilarious. He's the funniest bloke. And they had such a good banter between them. Um, and so when he was doing that, uh, you know, I think it got it got harder doing tours. Sort of the the older you get, obviously, and it, they, it can become a bit uh, grueling. The the Ruttles songs were still sounding fantastic, and and he got a group of musicians mm. around him mm. as well. Uh, Hell yeah. of a lineup, and, uh, and it's and they just sounded great. They just sounded. I don't care how many times you hear those Ruttles songs, they 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 still give <laughs> something a bit yeah. new each time. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and and you know, love life. I think I, I I like actually more than the song it's based on. Yeah, you know, I really just love. <laughs> mm. I think it's it's amazing the attention to detail, isn't it, in all of those songs? I think with yeah. I was thinking about with a girl like you and. If I fell, where it's like there's, I generally like prefer this. that one too. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's like this two-bar phrase which is in "If I fell" and he does it, but it's like the other way around. It's like so kind of like it's neat, really you know? clever, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that, yeah. The, the way he's harmon these is satirized a harmony, <laughs> which is yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's something. But he's one of those people like with well with Bonzo Dog Doodah Band for me. It's where I first realized music, just music on its own, could be funny. Mm. You know, my yeah. dad played me Gorilla. And you know the jazz, disgusting, hot, delicious cold. Yeah, or is it mm-hmm. delicious, hot, disgusting cold. I want I that played at my funeral. Do you? Yeah, <laughs> I think. But that... it's like it's the clar- is it the clarinet solo or something? It's like I I, I just couldn't breathe when my dad <laughs> played it to me. It was just like I thought it was gonna. It's funny. Was we just... had our first kind of a tiny little taste of that making the jingles for this podcast, and then you realise actually it's very hard to sound like the best band ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he did it and to a schedule as well that was quite yeah, gruelling. Yeah. It was just you know absolutely amazing. Still, it? it is fun to rattle a song if you can manage it though. Yeah, you... yeah. Actually, yeah. Kevin, have you ever rattled a song? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I, I like some of your songs. I'm a bit of a I'm obsessed with comedy music, as the book mm. suggests. Do you mean, what do you but, mean uh... rattling a song? Give me an exact. 
Basically, have you pastiched the Beatles musically? Have I pastiched um, the Beatles yourself um, as a I, songwriter? I did. Um, no, do you know? I I have tried. I, I have tried sta- mm. um, stand up wise, and I tried to do a a Beatles song just with rude lyrics, which isn't a very intelligent uh, idea. <laughs> but, uh, no, I've done it as well. <laughs> but musically, and trying to get the. Uh, uh, the chords and, and, and the melody line, and you just think, I oh, know I can't do it. It it sounds mm. like Freddie and the Dreamers. It doesn't sound mm. like the Beatles. So it, there's something indefinable there that that yeah. I couldn't get. So, which makes kind of you know, Innis. You know, just you just think, well, he really did. They really did. A lot mm. of them did sound like actual Beatles songs. I, yeah. I, I, mm. I've I've tried a few times. I find it very hard. And to get that John Lennon voice so right is, I mean, it obviously <laughs> yeah. helps when you've got the studio techniques yeah. but you write in the book about how cheese and onions especially has been ended up on a load of beatles bootleg albums and for oh, years yeah. there were people that yeah and as someone who grew up in the napster generation i have a lot of kind of bootlegged <laughs> like radiohead songs that it turns out are just not that bad but you know there were people who up until you know a few years ago would have thought that was a genuine like lost classic yeah. Some of those bootleggers were stretching, though, as well, because the same can be said of Dudley Moore and Peter Cook doing L.S. Bumblebee, yeah. which <laughs> doesn't, you know, wasn't supposed to sound like the Beatles and doesn't sound like the Beatles, but it's still, oh, John Lennon wrote that, definitely. Yeah, there are the rumours in the show. Uh, but he no he uh, uh, Neil did a fantastic John Lennon voice and and he didn't do the original McCartney voices did he uh, on the it was, on the uh, first Holson yes um, mm. um, who who died very sadly I, I think uh, uh, early nineties early nineties yeah yeah but when it came to um, doing the uh, archaeology uh, I think he took over doing Paul as well. Uh, Neil did, didn't he? No, well, I, I, I think the beauty of it was that they did have some uh, Ollie Halsell recordings which got used in archaeology. Oh, right, okay. So oh. there was that beautiful dovetail. Uh, sorry, it sounds terrible to talk about beauty when it's, it's somebody's death, but both the Beatles and the Rattles were working with recordings of their dead mm, bandmate right. when they came yeah. together to do that stuff. Mm. But I no, I think I think Neil stuck to uh, Ron only. To... I just love the the chewing gum is just always a thought, you know in love life. Just, yeah, yeah. It's such a great little note, to detail. Yeah. yeah, Lennon was a big gum chewer as well, and also well, yeah. um, Neil did a very good Ringo as well. That was that, mm. that was uh, that was excellent as well. Yeah, was it was it? It might be David Quantic again. He said that uh, you know living in hope is better than. Don't pass oh, me by. Yes. Yeah, I, was, I oh, agree. Yeah. I absolutely like, agree. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a low so bar, as Beatles but songs yeah, go. The, <laughs> but yeah. yes, I mean, shut up your face is better than don't pass me by, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Again, yes. So you write about this a little bit in the forward, Kevin, but when did you, I mean, you're a musician as well as a, uh, as a, you know, actor and comedian and writer, but what was your first exposure to the Beatles? When did you sort of get obsessed with them? Well, it's because of my age, I actually was born at a time when the Beatles were, were about, I was born before that, because I'm 60. So as I grew up as a kid, 
um, the Beatles were a part of the backdrop and they were just, they were there. Mm. So they'd always been there, which is kind of weird because for a lot of people, you know, for a 40 year old or something, uh, by the time they're born, the Beatles have already been split up by 10 years. So they always mm. see them as legend. So uh, I, I, I was brought up with them as part of the, of the sort of sonic backdrop, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. And I love them. And, mm. I'm always sort of slightly uh, wary of those early memories uh, not having been constructed later, but I keep coming back to this memory of uh, of the kitchen, uh, and and there's the the transistor radio is up on the side of the kitchen, and I'm just looking up over it, and this sounds coming out of it, and it was I want to hold your hand, and I, I specifically seem to remember going into the, that middle eight and when I touch her, D minor seventh. And it just, mm. it playing me. And it just absolutely yeah. just sending off fireworks in me and getting my heart. Uh, and then, so they were all always there all the way, the way through. And then the movies came on and they, they split up and then the movies came on. And then I went through all of the... Uh, you know the glam rock stuff, which was as a teenager that that was the thing then. And Beatles were kind of uncool in the early seventies to a certain extent. Mm. And then mm. about um, seventy six, I got into a, a, my first band, uh, and the two other guys in the band were uh, massive Beatles fans. And in nineteen seventy six, uh, all of the singles were released on mass. Um, it was a really weird thing. In fact, we're talking about Mark Lewison, and, and I was actually just texting him just before uh, we came onto this, just to say, why did that happen? It was something mm. to do with um, possi possibly the 67-76 contract coming to an end, and, you know, what, whatever is the ramifications of that. But suddenly there were about, there were about 12 Beatles singles in the charts, and uh, <clears throat> they released... Yesterday, which uh, was never a, a single in the in uh, the UK, so it was released in the States, and I think it got to number three or number two. But it was on top of the pops. You just see all these singles, and and that's kind of where uh, I was thinking, oh yeah, yeah, I remember these from when I was a kid, and some I hadn't even heard because there was some of them were Beatles tracks, and I just. That was when I fell in. I I, I fell in love. Mm. I fell down a Beatles pit, and I've never crawled out and i mm. never want to crawl out and suddenly i was writing in biro all over the place beatles rule okay and i was <laughs> i was obsessed I, I was obsessed at uh how, how beautiful it, it, it sounded and 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 the story i started uh, reading mm. these books this is about sort of late 70s when the books started coming out the shout was quite a a, a big one for, mm. for quite a while and uh you you suddenly saw um how there were these four guys and their very interesting lives of, of childhood, particularly Lennon having gone through all these things and that adventure through uh, just being this dossy little, you know, punk band, never finding a drummer and then getting that break in Hamburg and then, then it all starting to go really weird <laughs> uh, and it all <laughs> going off. And I've just always found it really, really seductive. And, and um, as I've, uh, as I got more into it I, and I started um, hearing about how they recorded stuff and, and how they wrote stuff and all the stuff that was uh, going on with them between them personally and individually. And it's always just absolutely fascinated me. And, uh, and I just keep finding something new in the music all the time. 
Um, and I still do mm-hmm. now. And, and sometimes I have to give myself a break. I'll give myself a break for a couple of months and I think to myself, do you know, maybe this piece of chewing gum has lost its flavor forever. But then <laughs> I'll hear the first chord of a hard day's night and I'm, bam, I'm in there again. I just think, God, these yeah. guys, it's fantastic. So they've, mm-hmm. um, they've been a constant um, uh, throughout my mm. life. There's not a day I don't think about them uh, or uh, probably play them. I play them sort of most days. Uh, it's almost mm. unhealthy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they've been such a source of joy to me. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and and they always will. That's it. They're with me to the end. I love them. It's funny how you have that story because we, like, we've kind of grown up in a post-anthology world where the the official story is kind of arrives in 1995 or whatever and then mm. all of those books that, that that you go back and read that were written before then they kind of have either been contradicted or whatever but i actually yeah. would much rather have lived in a pre-anthology world where you could have all of these sort of conflicting sort of stories and the rumors well, and stuff just the mystery basically and the mystery yeah, yeah. there was mystery, mystery before yeah. but yeah, i mean yeah. you know i mean there's still mystery in in discovering all this stuff for yourself anyway yeah. but uh yeah and the order with which people find it i always find really interesting because mm. we grew up at a time where all of those records were um available but i still grew up with my first real beatles the record that i listened to being that slightly odd rock and roll compilation mm. and then sort of piecing together bits of the narrative but in terms of what i was going to where i'm going with this is in terms of the the story being the most amazing thing and how all you need is cash the ruttles film did such a good job of it's basically distilled the anthology into an hour and 10 minutes yeah and it's so freakishly on point i know that they neil aspid also helped out in that the thing about the Ruttles film is that it's a spoof of something that nobody's ever seen. Yeah, the whole exactly, thing. It, yeah. it is the long and winding road. The, it is the the original anthology that became the anthology. Mm. It's a direct spoof by Eric Idle of that, having sat yeah. and watched it with George. And nobody knows what that film was like. If there, if there's ever a cut of it existing somewhere, I, I don't think anyone's ever seen it. So it's strange that um, I mean it works without the context. This is the funny thing. And then when Eric Idle did a sort of did Ruttles too, which I'm sorry mm. to bring that up so soon, but uh, yeah. <laughs> he was again he was spoofing a really specific American Beatles celebration documentary thing that right. we'd never seen. Okay, it that's was, it was, it and I couldn't track it down. <laughs> it was literally mm. shown once on like a cable channel that Eric Idle happened to watch in LA, and he kind of based it on that mm. apparently. So he says. Okay, so yeah. it's um, the first one stands alone without knowing what it's based on. But it's interesting how the story gets retold. I was thinking the other day about the Great Simpsons episode with the B-sharps. I mean, that does a really mm. good version yeah, of the story as well, isn't it? And I was the, gonna... It is the greatest story ever told, yeah. so you know, <laughs> yeah. it's understandable, really. Also, yeah. I, but I was going to ask you, Gem, about, you know, because you're a big Blackadder man, I always remember mm. at school there being a rumour after Blackadder goes forth <laughs> that there was going to be a fifth series that was set in the 60s. That's and do you know much is that? Do you know much about that rumour or uh, whether that I would have been a Beatles this, story? As I understand it, that was all Rick Mail bullshitting uh, tabloid journalists. Oh, really? Um, It was. He thought it was really funny to have bold Rick be the drummer. (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't take much for Ben Elton and Richard Curtis to want to do the Beatles because, (laughs) as we see, they are both pretty obsessive about Beatles themselves. Yeah. So maybe you know the 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 goes forth party 
they talked about this stuff and Rick was talking out of school. But mm. that was the original source. It was Rick Mail right, saying okay. that would yeah. have been awesome and I could be in this band and be a regular <laughs> and stuff. And it's just, with Blackadder, things just get regurgitated more mm. than any other comedy show in history. Yeah, yeah, because they're yeah. quite private about these things anyway. So yeah. the slightest rumour gets turned into It was literally something absolute... my dad had heard in the pub, I think. You know, it was like <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, I, I mentioned it just for, for completion's sake yeah, yeah. in Fab Fools. But yeah. um, no, I think I think Rick uh, Rick Richard Curtis was awaiting the deep dive of yesterday. Really. Right. We only have one uh, st- stock question on this show, um, and I'll ask it to both of you uh, in terms. So, Jem, do you have a controversial Beatles opinion? I think the truth is, this book is absolutely full of them from start to finish. I mean, the very ethos of the book, which is a little bit cheeky, because, you know, the, the, the music is what comes first, and we love to know about their lives and the men and everything, but comedy has been underplayed. So with mm. Fab Fools, we're really coming out batting for comedy. But right. Because it has been undervalued, my controversial opinion generally is the Beatles were comedians, and that was mm-hmm. a huge... That was the X factor, because yeah. the music was the best there was, but at the same time, we didn't have, you know, Freddie and the Dreamers um, wowing them at the press conferences. No. Um, it was the one thing that really pushed them, I think, to... to the phenomenon that they were mm. so that's a kind of a large overriding one but there's a probably about another 70 or so littered throughout <laughs> the whole book it's good, didn't like you it. didn't didn't you cover in the book uh gem the fact that about 66 did mccartney say that they were thinking of just leaving the music and becoming comedians because i've heard that quote well there's there's um i mean was it after hard day's night um, or maybe after they did um, the Shakespeare sketch with the Midsummer Night's Dream stuff, I think uh, there was uh, an interviewer who asked John uh, about Ringo, especially. I think it's because Ringo had done so well in A Hard Day's Night. He said, "Is he going to give it up and become a full-time comedian?" And uh, John said, uh, "Well, he's only saying that because uh, he'd rather be doing that when he's doing this, and he'd rather be doing that when he's doing that. But we'd be crummy oh, yeah, comedians." Yeah. Mm. John really always downplayed the quality of his wit any time he was actually called upon to comment on it. I think that's an interesting point I was going to mention, which is because obviously your, your book's about comedy. So one, I think the idea the idea of sincerity is really important to the mm. Beatles. Like that, uh, there's a great anecdote you say where Paul tried to cover um, "Are You Lonesome Tonight" at the Cavern, and mm. everyone just pissed themselves because it was like <laughs> he was, you know, just yeah. trying. It was like trying, trying to, to do, do something do really well sincere and film, earnest. Yeah. And there's a bit in "Let It Be" all the way at the other end of the career where he starts singing "Long and Winding Road," and he obviously sees maybe John taking the piss out of the way he's singing, and mm. he sort of turns it into a crooning version of it. And I think that's what's it's that balance between comedy and you know Paul and John wanting to put their heart on their sleeves, but you know the. That kind of scouseness, no, yeah, sort of it's just always them, there, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of this battle between comedy and sincerity. And I think his reaction to, I think all of the Beatles um, were broadly loved the Ruttles, but Paul was the only one who was slightly sort of miffed by the scene where uh, Eric Idle sort of doing composing it's a really bad song. It's you I love. 
Well, I think it was Neil himself that said that Eric was just a, a stiletto heel in the jugular there, <laughs> as opposed to everything else being sort of... Gen- I mean, y- you could say the whole Yoko Nazi thing is pretty bad, really. Yeah. Um, and yet she loved it. Nasty, meanwhile, visited an exhibition of broken art at the pretentious gallery Soho. The art exhibits had all been dropped out of tall buildings and then put on display. Amongst the little piles of rubble, Nasty found the artist herself. Chastity, a simple German girl whose father had invented World War II. I found watching it again, the Brian Epstein bits a bit... Uh, Leggy Mountbatten. Mm. Yeah, that's very much of its time, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort of... Uh, it's not. It's just a little bit sort of uh, sneery, isn't it? Mm. It's kind of... But it's that kind of, oh, yeah, he was, you know... He was gay. Yeah, that's a very sort of very nineteen seventy eight kind of attitude. Yeah, mm. not very enlightened. Yeah. But I mean, uh, but uh, but still, it's a good gag. Instead of having him die, as he accepts a teaching mm. post in Australia. That's <laughs> that is funny. Uh, and yeah. So, um, Kevin, moving on to have you, have you got a controversial Beatles opinion? Um, it's not very controversial, but um, I I find help the film a bit irritating. Mm. Well, it's more than irritating these days, isn't it? This is this has been one of the problems I faced in in writing the book, and you can see why it's never really had the massive Blu-ray oh help anniversary yeah, thing because yeah. they're yeah. head in hands really sitting, mm. sitting through a lot of those Eastern yeah. religion scenes, you know, and it's yeah. kept vague. But even just writing in the book, uh, the Oriental thuggies and all that, it's just yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's kind of, yeah. I mean it's got it's completely non PC. It's got you know yeah. Liam McCurd's blacking up, and mm. I mean, but it's a long, long, long time ago. But still, mm. uh, but apart from that, it's just um, it's a bit aimless and again very kind of whimsical. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I don't, and I, you know, I I don't think they were that into it. I mean, they were just into mm. having their joints yeah. and you know doing a bit of skiing and and riding around on the bikes. I think they liked that. Yeah. But uh, I don't think they were that. Uh, contracted into what passes a script <laughs> yeah. at the time. I think it's my least favourite Beatle era, the the Help record. I, li- I like the early stuff because it's so interesting how quickly they moved. And then I can sort of skip over Hard Day's Night and Help and then land on when things get really interesting. But um, do you have a favourite era that was always your favourite? Yeah, Hard Day's Night and Help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. Yeah. I mean, I I, yeah. I love that period. Yeah. I mean, helps maybe not my favourite, but you know, Rubber Soul is, it, mm. yeah, mm. yeah, it's absolutely amazing. But I know I can I can find great beauty in every single one of the albums actually, and they're all yeah. they're all brilliant in a different way to me. I I can't I can't pick a favourite. I can't pick a favourite album, let alone a a favourite uh, song. Do you do you feel like they influenced you as a comedian as well as? I don't know if I don't know if they did. There's, there must have been some kind of unconscious influence um, because mm. you know I'm so mm. immersed in them, um, and mm. uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, mm. I think maybe one way John Lennon influenced all sorts of entertainers was just the way that he could do cartoons and poems and yeah. rock music, yeah. and he kind of that was quite unusual, I think, at the time, and I think it sort of showed a lot of comedians that um you know you don't have to specialize in any one thing yeah, good mm. point 
I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna. I was really interested about the Joyce connection because uh, that Lennon said when he first read Joyce, he said he'd found Daddy. Well, yes, he. Lo- mm-hmm. I mean, he loved the imagery. Uh, he loved the anarchy of the language, didn't he? And uh, mm-hmm. you, you yeah. can see that direct influence there from yes, him. yeah. Um, and uh, but he only read a few pages of Joyce, though he said himself. Yeah. And I, I kind of believe that in John. I mean. He'd sit down and read the entire Sherlock Holmes when he's stuck on a boat with nothing else to read. But I think when he said, people said Joyce and they gave him books on Joyce and he said, I read a few pages and I dug it. But yeah. he, just, he said it was relentless. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, went on for, he went on for pages. It's just like, it's but one of those, because there's a great, I mean, very famous Joyce quote, which is, I've put in so many enigmas and puzzles that it will keep the professors busy for centuries which is almost exactly what john said about said about i am the walrus which is that he was kind of deliberately taking the piss of like putting in all these kind of mad illusions that didn't make sense he thought people would be puzzling over you know they thought it was hilarious and that that's see that's the good thing about the the humor of them because um you know bigger egos would have been uh completely puffed up by the idea that you know people yeah. were writing treatises on them and things like that <laughs> yeah. he mm. thought it was yeah. ridiculous uh, yeah. and so so he thought well okay then i'll, I'll take the piss out of them i'll you know and yeah. make up stuff and see if they can write an essay on that which is very funny yeah it is and they're still oh, writing them now yeah but that's one of the things i remember when i was at uni and was reading joyce it was like this like mad revelation where you kind of realize oh he's taking the piss <laughs> you know it's all like a bit of a piss take and you know that that's where there is a connection whether or not john read much joyce but you know most of the best art is mm. really, yeah. As well. yeah, yeah, yeah have yeah, you yeah, ever personally. read um, yeah. joyce's naughty naughty letters yeah 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 there's something yeah, quite Lenin-esque in the way that he used is the profound and the profane. <laughs> there is quite, they are quite funny there because there are ones where he's actually clearly uh, drubbing as he's writing, and then when he kind of reaches conclusion, <laughs> he kind of carries on. Oh, okay. oh, and by the way, can you go to the shops and get these little tomatoes? <laughs> you know, just this, like this stream of consciousness, as it were. But like, the stream of what? Yeah. <laughs> we, know, we know. We know for a fact that it was in fact. Yeah. <laughs> Multitasking, yes. like Anthony Hopkins in uh, *Fist of Fun*. Right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's, but who's ever got? Who's ever got all the way through *Ulysses*? Though me, me, yeah. you have. Yeah, yeah. I think I've tried four times, and yeah. I, my, I think once I made my eyes automatically scan the pages to the end, so that I, thought, <laughs> so that I'd said I'd got to the end. But it, on but, the very last page, it says, "Well done, you well, are clever. <laughs> yeah. You have finished Ulysses." There's an amazing book called the Bloomsday Book, which is by Harry Blamiers, Blamiers, I think, and that's about 200 pages long, and it tells you what's happening in Ulysses. And oh. when you read that book. The Bloomsday book, you can read Ulysses and go, Oh, I see. You That's know. a good tip. I might, I might yeah. go for that. It's excellent. Yeah. What's nice about the book as well is there's, you know, the Samuel Beckett thing. There are so many kind of what I, was, ifs, I thought you were going to bring up that somehow for, from, from Joyce. It was like in my mind since you said that. Yeah. It's a real strange one, that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's totally been accepted. You know, it's in, I, um, I've, I've first read it in um a different Beatles book um so it seems to be totally real and it happened and it's yeah. kind of documented that it happened but um the actual the, the text is up on a website and there's no way of tracking down the original right. mm. it was like a fanzine that existed for 10 seconds in 1973 Jesus. and yeah. you're left with this with this dialogue between yeah. Lennon but there are so many um, like brilliant like the other one I found amazing was Joseph Heller submitted a treatment for yellow submarine <laughs> 
And uh, didn't uh, Brian throw it away because he didn't like the colour of the folder? <laughs> it was purple, and he's just like, I'm not looking at that. Crikey. Mm. <laughs> and Joe Orton, of course. Joe Orton, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I'm, that's that's uh, almost the heart of the whole book. That was that was mm. one of the great um, joys of writing the book. Actually, I went up to the University of Leicester and got to sit with the original script of Up Against It, which fantastic. Was it was it an actual Orton script typed up by him or? No, well, I mean, have you ever seen? You must have read. Have you read the book? Because the actual there was a screenplay that was published decades ago for Up Against no. It, but that was the script that had already been adapted uh, for the second attempt to make a film of it with Ian McKellen and Mick Jagger, mm. supposedly, as the two main characters, which is why you have these two main characters, McTurk and Lowe, and the, the script that I went up to Leicester to see um, was still uh, McTurk 1, McTurk 2, McTurk 3, McTurk 4, mm. and it was literally John played Ian McTurk, this character, and what would happen is that the camera would move and you'd see these four guys standing behind him and they were literally four people in one. Right, right. it was like a split personality <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, so Paul mm. would be McTurk too, having this scene over there and and it was almost unfilmable, really. But But... Nobody has ever seen those scripts before, really. I mean, certainly that means they've never been published or shared in any way. And I love the 1997 uh, BBC Radio 3 version oh, of Up Against Damon it. Alvin. And Leo McKern and all, mm. just the most incredible cast. Mm. Um, but going back to the original screenplay and seeing the second version of the screenplay, that radio version has been totally rebuilt from the ground up. Mm. There's so it's unusable. You can totally see why Brian and Paul, and I think it was just Brian and Paul who even took a look at that script, mm. both just kind of sent it straight back to Joe Wharton, and he was mm. not happy. The thing was that um, Brian sent the script back to, Gro- uh, to Joe Wharton, and he just said, oh, fuck them. And that's where the story ended. But I found a quote from a couple of days later in his diary, in, in the weeks before he was murdered where he took a look back at the screenplay and said, actually, come to think of it, I see why they didn't (laughs) accept that. But it would have been marvellous, he said. God, that's very interesting to know that. So so looking back at it, he himself knew that... What was he thinking? There were no... What did you think of it? It wasn't funny. I mean, I think I've, I've almost deliberately included some of the most unacceptable bits in the book so you can see just how bad it is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. the John Lennon McTurk character uh, just... Oh, the, I mean, the misogyny in it is, is mm. off the scale. I mean, it, it is... The misogyny in that film, had it been made, would have been like the racism in Help, but ten times worse. Mm. Right. Um, and it's... I think, as I say in the book, I, mean, I remember even as a kid watching the two Ronnies the worm that turned yeah. and not finding that very funny. And it's the same idea, but <laughs> yeah. another 20 years earlier than that. And just, oh, look, women are in charge and isn't it hilarious that the men are in dresses and uh, the women are interested in home furnishings and, and nothing else. And, yeah, there'd be no way to, uh, to explain that stuff away in 2020. Mm. So we're quite lucky, really, that things happen as they did. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> if we were going to do a Beatles podcast with you, Kevin, if I couldn't ask you about your George Martin impersonation, which is spectacular and has brought me much joy. And I just wondered how that happened. When did it sort of come to you that you could do that? It was, weirdly enough, it was about a month before we started doing Big Train and uh, the voice just fell out 
it just fell out and and I I I was I didn't think I wonder what George Martin and, and then it fell out. I thought that's weird that doesn't really sound <laughs> like it and then uh, and then Lena and Matthews said you know when we do this if you you can do any impressions I said, right, I found George, actually. And they said, oh, it's George Martin. Yeah, George Martin. So, uh, so they wrote the script. They, they wrote that sketch around that. And, uh, and, and I found that I could, I could do it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when um, Sir George died, or just before uh, St. George died, but uh, say St. George, yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote a letter. I wrote a letter because it always worried me that Oh. That he'd been upset by it, oh. and because uh, I heard that he'd he'd heard it, and that he had said to someone, "Well, you know, they never asked me about anything else," <laughs> and uh, and and I thought, God, if he thought that that was mean, so I just wrote this letter uh, to him via his agent, just to just to give him a lot of love, basically, mm. and just to say, you know, it came from the kindest place in the world, and. His agent basically intimated that he was kind of on the slide, really, mm. and kind of not with it anymore. So I don't think it really it got it got there. But um, mm. his son got in touch with me after uh, he died. Oh. He came over for the funeral and, and said that he did enjoy it and uh, <laughs> and it had been okay. And uh, and I was just so happy yeah. to hear that, mm. you know, because yeah. that was that was from his son. Yeah. And uh, so uh, yeah, so. Oh, so uh, it just, it, but it was weird how it just, it just sort of popped out one day. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. There was an inner yeah. George. That's oh, amazing. amazing. But I, 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 there was another man. You know, we haven't talked about him. I, I, he's one of my heroes. I think there was, what a, what a graceful, beautiful man he yeah. was. You know, mm. and he was funny such as well. a. a yeah. And very, very funny indeed, and so clever. And, that was one uh, of the key reasons for doing this book again. It was just like, no matter how you look at it, it was just like, well, there's this, there's all this over mm. here that nobody's done. And yeah. that's why it, it was heartbreaking when I didn't get to actually interview him. Yeah. He got me a nice, he sent me a nice letter back saying, uh, I, it sounds like a good idea for a book, but uh, I'm not sure how funny the Beatles are on the page, basically. But, um, but, but all of his background, he would be remembered as one of the pioneers of audio comedy mm, in this yeah, world if there'd yeah. been no Beatles. And yeah. people like Armando Iannucci and Jeffrey Perkins and Douglas Adams and all these people who've created these fantastic comedy audio experiences, they basically start off with George Martin. Mm. He was just with him and uh, uh, with all the goons, mm. obviously, Sellers, and with Peter Ustinov. Yeah. And they mm. were just, they were, yeah. they were learning how to make funny comedy albums from yeah. scratch, almost. Yeah. And all that inventiveness that he put into those comedy records, obviously, you know, translated over into totally. into Beatles stuff. And but that's it. Always gets me that there's this sort of this dapper, suave uh, gentleman who, uh, who who was an RAF pilot, or he was certainly uh, was he on maps or something? And yeah, he was. Uh, uh, and and there he is, you know, sort of looking to a certain extent quite the square, really. But yeah. he's there mixing up. You know, yeah, day yeah. in the life, and uh, and and these incredibly esoteric psychedelic songs, and yeah. there he is in his shirt and kind of tie, and he's yeah. he's tying it all together. It's just yeah. it's incredible. He he was so cool. I yeah, think. yeah. yeah. But there's a lovely bit in it, lovely bit in the book where you say, you know, he was he was in on the joke. You know, like the bit in mm. I can't remember what song they're doing. He goes to Paul 
okay, what's the song called? And Paul goes, shit. <laughs> and George goes, George goes, okay, take one shit. <laughs> like, you know, it's sort of like that. Okay, take one shit. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So that was the actor Kevin Eldon and Jem Roberts. What a fantastic conversation. Yeah, that was brilliant. And I can heartily recommend Jem's uh, book, Fab Fools. Uh, it's such a good read. And I can't believe, having read it, that we had John Ronson on the show and we didn't ask him about the fact that Frank Sidebottom, who John Ronson used to play in the band with, uh, Frank Sidebottom used to do a version, a cover version of The Beatles Flying, the Beatles' only instrumental song, with mm. lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that. No, I've, no, I've never heard it, but Jem's got the, uh, the lyrics here. We are the Beatles, there are four of us. Direct from Liverpool, Liverpool, we got here on a bus. John, Paul, George and Ringo, John, Paul, George and Ringo, that is us. I can't picture how this goes with the melody. We are the Beatles, something like that, maybe. George plays electric guitar, Ringo has loads of rings, John plays another guitar, and Paul McCartney sings... And then one day they broke up and Paul McCartney formed Wings. You know, he did. He really did. <laughs> I can't picture how that goes to the, to the tune. Oh, I'm going to have to pull that out of the archives. Yeah, it's probably on YouTube, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Lovely anyway. stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, so the, the book's really great. It's out on the 30th of October. You can pre-order it. And f- if you follow Jem and the Fab Fools account, at Fab, Fab Fools on Twitter, then uh, it'll have all of the updates and places where you can buy it, That preferably from somewhere that isn't, you know, a tax-avoiding behemoth. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. But, um, yeah, and also follow Jem's uh, account because there may be a book launch, which is sort of COVID-dependent, as I understand it. But, uh, yeah, do follow him on the social meds. Uh, so thank you so much for Kevin and Jem for popping in. Um, and from one of the comedy legends from our formative years to one of the comedy legends of the future, next week we've got the fantastic Al Roberts, who you'll know from uh, Sheeps, the comedy trio with Liam Williams and previous guest Jono, and uh, his role as Al in Stathlet's Flats, which is... I think it's fair to say one of the greatest comedy turns of the last ten years. Yeah, it's great. It's quite it's quite some, quite moving as well. The budding rom- romance between him and Tash Dimitri's character. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, Al Roberts is so funny, um, and it was a really really good chat. It's really interesting as well. Kind of lots of childhood memories. Lots of kind of he listened to all the Beatles records as well before the interview, didn't he? As well. Yeah, which is amazing prep. Yeah. Um, so kudos to that it's a really fun one Um, so join us next Tuesday for Al Roberts if you enjoyed the show please do go to Apple Podcasts and give us a nice five star review because it really does help us inflate our egos but more importantly to uh, helps other people find the podcast Um, so that is very much appreciated Mm. Uh, if you want to support the show you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash donate and do get in contact with any of your personal Beatles stories because we really enjoy reading them Um, And thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thank you. Goodbye. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.